0: Good morning. morning. My name is Adam. If you don't know me, it's uh, really wonderful to have you with us this morning as we uh, dive back into our sermon series that we uh, kicked off a few weeks ago called Union with Christ, the most important truth you've never heard. And I'd like to begin by uh, sharing with you a clever Little nursery rhyme that I heard recently. And it goes something like this. The bear went over the mountain. The bear went over the mountain. The bear went over the mountain to see what he could see. And all that he could see, and all that he could see was the other side of the mountain. The other side of the mountain, the other side of the mountain was all that he could see. Now I don't think that this is what the writer of the nursery rhyme had in mind when they wrote it, but this little nursery rhyme actually illustrates for us a profound truth. See, so many of us we spend our lives climbing some sort of mountain. We spend our time and our energy and our resources working towards, striving towards some kind of peak. Now, of course, uh, for us it's We have many different kinds of peaks that we're working towards. For some of us it's career. We're striving towards some kind of position or title or prestige in our career. For others of us it's family. We have this vision of what our family could be or should be and we're always striving and working towards that end. Others of us it's money. We're driven to build our bank balance, to build our portfolio, to to build our superannuation. We spend all of our time and energy towards that end. Others of us, it's possessions. We work and strive towards always having the best and the latest and the newest. There are all of these different peaks that we're working towards and striving towards. And what we believe is that once we reach the peak... When we get the job, when we uh, get the family, the relationship, the house, the car, the bank balance, the body, whatever it is, then we'll be happy. Then we'll be content. Then we'll be fulfilled. Then we'll be at ease. But the truth is, it usually turns out for us like the bear in the nursery rhyme. or we find that the peak of this mountain is just the other side of the mountain. Or if we're honest, just another even higher peak for us to climb. And you see, if we do manage to get to the peak, we don't find what we're looking for, we don't find what we're hoping for, we don't find what we're dreaming for. We all we only discover the other side of the mountain. And it leaves us with the question, well, where am I going? Where am I actually headed in life? What's the goal of my life? What is my horizon? Where am I going? And this is an incredibly important question. In fact, this question often bubbles up for us at key moments in our lives. When we go through a a transition in our lives, we ask ourselves, well, where am I going? When we hit a time of boredom or stagnation in our lives, we ask, well, what am I actually doing with my life? Or when we go through times of suffering, we can even ask ourselves, well, what is all of this even for? And when these questions arise, as they inevitably will in our lives, if you don't know where your life is going, if you don't have a compelling horizon, you can feel aimless and adrift and lost. But if you do know where your life is going, if you do have a compelling horizon for your life, then it empowers you to push through the the doubts and the difficulties and the struggles that life will inevitably bring. And you see, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, we kicked off this series called Union with Christ. And what we're talking about is our relationship with Jesus and how it changes everything about us. If you remember back to week one, we, said, uh, we talked about the reality that when we put our faith in Christ, the Bible says that we are united to Christ, we are in Christ. And then in week two, Nathaniel talked about uh, the reality that when we are united to Christ, we receive a new identity. Outside of ourselves, we're a child of God, loved, forgiven, empowered. And this week, what we're going to see is that when we are united to Christ by faith, we receive a new horizon. We receive a new destiny. And so this is the question that we're going to be striving to answer today. What is our horizon? Where are we headed? Where are we going in life? And have you ever thought about this? Have you ever wondered, where is my life heading? Well, in order to answer this question properly, we need to begin not by looking forwards, but actually by looking backwards. We need to know where we've come from and what we were created for. And so to answer this question, where are we going? Let's first answer the question, well, where have we come from? And to answer this question, we need to go back to Genesis 1, the first chapter of the first book In the Bible. And this is what we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now what we're told in this short but profound verse is that we, men and women, have been created in the image of God. Now, usually when you hear this explained, it'll be explained in terms of our ability to reason, our ability to create, our ability to exercise authority, those things that kind of distinguish us from the animals, our conscience, our our desire for community, all of those different things. And it is those things. But what did the original writer have in mind when he wrote this phrase? How did the original audience understand this phrase when they heard it? Well, in the ancient context, the term image of God was a very familiar one, but it was used in regards to the king and nobody else. The king was seen to be God's representative on earth. And so if you wanted to honour God or honour the gods, you had to honour the king, the image of God, the representative of God. Moreover, if a king reigned over a large region, more than he could visit, he'd place statues or images of himself in these faraway towns to represent his reign to subjects who couldn't see him in person. And so if you lived in the ancient world, when you heard this phrase, image of God, this is what came to mind. The king and his statues spread throughout his empire. Now, do you see how astonishing the claim that the Bible is making here? And the Bible says that all men and women are created in the image of God. It's saying that every single person is created to be royalty. Every person has been created by God to reflect and to represent God on the earth. This is why C.S. Lewis once said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal, is what he said. We were created to be royal image bearers of God, to be walking images of God all over the earth. But if we look around, we can see that there's a problem, isn't there? I mean, is this the kind of world that we live in? Is this the kind of people that we are? Do we live like those who were created to reflect and represent a just and loving and gracious and merciful God? And the answer is no. We are not who we were created to be. Something has gone wrong. And let me explain it this way. On the screen is a picture of the Pietà. Now, the Pietà is the only sculpture that Michelangelo ever signed, ever put his signature on. Now, it's a statue of Mary holding her crucified son, the Lord Jesus. Now, the statue was installed in 1500 in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome and it remained there, mostly undisturbed, until 1972 when a vandal broke past security and repeatedly smashed it with a hammer. Don't know why. It resulted in um, Mary's left arm being shattered. It resulted in severe damage to her nose, her veil and her left eye. And this artistic treasure became a marred masterpiece in need of restoration. And over the next year, a team of experts gathered up all of the different shards and slivers of damaged marble and they painstakingly pieced the pieta back together. And I tell you this because this is our story as well. Our spiritual enemy has entered into our world and savagely attacked God's masterpiece. It's left us damaged and defaced. Now, the image of God in us has not been completely lost or completely erased, but it's been damaged, it's been disfigured. But of course, our enemy is not only external to us, it's also internal within us. And the Bible calls this internal enemy sin. It's a short word that it uses for a really big problem. Now, sin can be defined in a number of different ways. It can be defined as uh, breaking God's law, missing the mark, It can be defined as rebellion against God, failing to worship God as we ought to. It can be disordered love. It's loving other things more than we love God. It's idolatry. It's building an identity on God, on things other than God. But sin is also a degenerative, dehumanising force. Sin defaces the image of God in us and keeps us from flourishing. Let me give you an example. The Bible repeatedly warns us against and about the sin of greed. And the sin of the love of money. Now why? Well, God doesn't do this just because God hates money and wants us to be poor. Now the Bible warns us against the sin of greed because God knows that greed diminishes our lives. Greed diminishes our humanity. Think about it. It makes us selfish. It makes us fearful. It makes us ruthless towards others. But generosity enhances our lives. It enhances our humanity. It makes us more loving, more open to others, more joyful. My point is that sin is not just about us breaking God's law. Sin also breaks us. Sin damages and defaces the image of God in us. It chips away at the beauty of who God created us to be. And we could talk about so many different areas of our lives. But you see, between the evil outside of us and the sin within us, we are like the pieta. We are marred masterpieces in need of restoration. The glorious image of God in us needs to be restored. And this helps us to answer the question that we asked at the start, which is, where are we going? What's our horizon? Where is our life headed? And the answer is, our horizon is the image of God being restored in us. The image of God being restored in us. We are being put back together like the Pieta. We're being restored into the people that God created us to be. Now, maybe you're wondering, well, what does that actually mean? I mean, what does that really look like? What's this image look like that we're being restored into? Well, Colossians chapter 1 in the New Testament says this about Jesus. It says that he is the image of the invisible God. In other words, Jesus reveals to us what an unmarred image of God looks like. Jesus shows us who we were intended and created to be. I love what Peter Kreef, the philosopher, says. He he says, we are half men. He is perfect man. We are inhuman humans. He is perfect humanity. We are alienated from ourselves. He is perfectly himself. I love this last line. He is more us than we are. You see, we often say this, don't we? We say, well, I'm only human. And we mean that in regards to our weakness and our foibles and our failings. But actually, what it means to be truly human is glorious. It means to be like Jesus. Do you want to know what a true human being is supposed to look like? Look at Jesus. When he walked on this earth, he loved God with all of his heart, Soul, mind, and strength. He obeyed his Father. He submitted himself to his will. And he loved others to the point of laying down his life for them. Jesus shows us what it means to be fully and truly human. Jesus is our horizon. Now you might be thinking, well, great, just be like Jesus. Thanks, no problems, I'll get on to that. I mean, this kind of sounds like an impossible horizon, doesn't it? This sounds like an impossible mountain for us to climb. And you know what? It would be if it were not for union with Christ. Because Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, not just to show us how to live, not just to be our example. but Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to go to the cross, To pay our debts, to atone for our sin, to rise from death, to pour out his spirit upon us, to bring us to himself, to unite us to him so intimately so that we can live through him and for him. I love the way Colossians 3 puts it. For you have died. Your old, sinful, broken self has died. And your life, your new life in Christ is hidden with Christ in God. If you think back to the airplane analogy that we used uh, a few weeks ago, when you come to Christ, you're not chasing after Jesus. Jesus is not a long way off in the distance in an airplane and you're running after him trying to keep up with him. When you come to Christ, you are united to him. You become a passenger on the airplane and he carries you towards your destination, towards your horizon. And this is why the horizon that the Bible gives us, it's not just beautiful, but it's accessible for you and for me. Because look at what we're told in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. So where are you headed? What's your horizon in life? Let me tell you, it's not just a promotion, It's not just the perfect children, it's not just lots of super, it's not just a holiday home. Your horizon, where your life is going is to become a true human being, is to become like Jesus. Now let me tell you what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that your unique self, that your individual personality and particularity is obliterated. You know, God's goal for His people is, is unity, not uniformity. Heaven will not be a bunch of people who walk and talk and act and, and live in exactly the same way. We retain our individuality, our personality. In fact, look what Ephesians chapter two verse ten says. It says, "For we are His workmanship." Now, that word "workmanship" is the Greek word "poiema." It's the word from which we get our word "poem." You are God's poem. His work of art. There's no one else he may that's quite like you. And as God restores his image in you, as you become more and more like Jesus, you actually become more and more yourself. You actually become more and more the you that God created you to be. I love what rankin Wilborn says, who I gleaned a lot from for this sermon. He says, in following Christ, we don't become something less than ourselves. We, nor do we become something more than human. We don't become angelic. We are become more human. He says, This is what he says. We become more and more human, more and most ourselves. This is a glorious truth. And this is a beautiful horizon. This is far better, far greater than anything the world can offer us. Our destiny is not just to see Jesus, but to become like him. And so we've looked at where we've come from, we've looked at where we're going, but maybe you're wondering, well, what does all of this mean? How does this truth change my life as I walk from this building in just a few moments? to close, I'd like to talk about what this means for our day-to-day lives. And of course, it means everything. It changes the way we view our entire lives. But let me just share... Two ways in which this truth changes their lives. And the first is this when we understand our horizon, where we're going, it changes our attitude towards suffering. Now, for many in our kind of modern secular culture, the goal of life is essentially pleasure and comfort. I mean, if, if this life is all there is, if we've given 60, 70, 80 years and that's it, then surely what it means to live a truly fully human life is to cram as much pleasure, as much comfort, as much uh, satisfaction into this 80 years as you can. And it's probably to avoid as much suffering and difficulty as you can because those things diminish your quality of life. But if your horizon goes beyond this life, if your horizon is more about who you are becoming than what you have and what you do, then this changes your attitude towards suffering. And you can begin to see suffering, not as something that destroys your life completely, but as something that can be used by God to strengthen you, to change you, to transform you. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, Therefore, we do not give up. Why? Even though our outer person is being destroyed. And some of us are in places this morning where we feel that. We feel like we're being destroyed. Our suffering is that hard. But look what Paul goes on to say. He says our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. When we go through suffering, when we go through difficult seasons, we don't give up. But we keep moving forward because we know our suffering is not pointless, but it's purposeful. And it can be even used by God to strengthen our inner person, to restore his image in us. So let me just ask you, how do you view suffering? When pain and difficulty and suffering comes into your life, do you view it as punishment from God? Or or can you see it as something that God might be at work in to renew your inner person? Do you view it as a way for God to make you more like Jesus, the suffering servant, the one who suffered in our place? I like what C.S. Lewis says about this. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. To the restoration work in our lives, it might be painful, but Christ is the master artist and Christ is at work in us. So when we understand our horizon, it changes our attitude towards suffering and secondly, it changes our definition of success. Now let me ask you this, how do you know whether you're a success or not? How do you know if you're a successful human being? Well surely it depends on your end goal, on the finish line, doesn't it? Now, again, if the finish line is the end of this life, is death, is the grave, then success is, again, a pleasurable, comfortable life, and you can measure your success by those things that bring you pleasure and comfort, money, homes, possessions, positions, popularity, etc., but if your end goal is different, if your finish line goes beyond the grave, and if it's more about who you are becoming than what you have and what you do, then you define success very differently. And what it means is that a win for you is whatever draws you closer to Christ and whatever makes you more like Christ. And there are so many things that we use to define as success today, but the Bible would say they can actually be lost. They can be rubbish, Paul says, if they distract you and take you away from knowing Christ and becoming like him. The Apostle Paul, again, in Philippians chapter 3, a very successful man. He says, but everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things. He's writing this letter from prison. And consider them as dung, so that I may gain. Yes, the Bible uses that word. So that I may gain Christ. The win for us is to know Christ and to become like Him. And if there are things that take us away from that goal, they might be considered wins in the world, but they're loss when it comes to our goal and our horizon. This is what rankin Wilborn says. He says, When being conformed to Christ is your horizon, every accomplishment, every promotion, every trophy becomes a potential hurdle, something that might lead you away from that which is better, knowing Christ and being conformed to his image. Our win is to become a true human being, to become more and more like Christ. Dependent, obedient, humble, Loving, forgiving, like Christ. So let me ask you, how do you define success in your life? Is it to know Christ and to become like him? Is this reflected in your priorities, and your schedule? Our win is to become like Christ. See friends, the Bible tells us that we have been created in the image of God. But this image has been marred and disfigured by sin. So our horizon, our goal, is to have the image of God restored in us. And we see what this image looks like in the life of Christ. And I I don't know about you, but this is a beautifully compelling horizon that can propel us forward through all that life holds for us, that can propel us up the mountain, not the mountain of career and success and money, but the mountain of knowing life. God and in fact this is the vision that we're given in Revelation 21 at the end of the Bible where John writes and he says and he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel like a jasper clear as crystal see this is our horizon. God himself dwelling with us and us being the people that God created us to be. And this horizon keeps us moving forward, keeps us moving upwards, keeps us climbing the mountain because we know that when we get to the top, we won't find it empty. We won't just find the other side of the mountain. But God himself will be waiting for us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, some of us have lost sight of our horizon. Some of us have lost sight of where you're taking us. That's to become and be transformed into the image of Jesus. Help us, Lord, as we go from here this morning to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. Lord, thank you for this glorious vision that we're given in Revelation 21 you will dwell with us and we will be your people. Fix our hearts on this truth as we go from here so that we might seek you and know you in every area of our life and be transformed more and more and more into your image. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.